0: This is Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit, the show all about finding and maintaining a healthy lifestyle. I'm Dr. Debbie Minor, professor and vice chair of medicine at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. And I'm so thrilled today that my guest is Dr. Caroline Compreta. And we're going to be talking about anthropology, anthropology, cultural anthropology. So lots of people don't know much about that. So I'd love to hear from you with any questions that you may have or comments. So this can go all over the place. It should be very, very interesting. So give us a call at one mpb ring That's 1-877-672-7464. Or send us an email to healthy at mpbonline.org. This is Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit from MPB Think Radio, and we'll be right back with you right after the news.
1: Live from NPR News in Washington, I'm Lakshmi Singh. Hillary Clinton is skipping a campaign swing to the West Coast today to recover from pneumonia. The Democratic nominee appeared to faint yesterday as she was getting into a car during a 9-11 commemoration in New York. NPR's Tamara Keith says Clinton's aides say the candidate is feeling better. According to a statement from her doctor released by the campaign, Clinton was diagnosed with pneumonia on Friday, prescribed antibiotics, and told to rest and modify her schedule. The pneumonia diagnosis was only revealed on Sunday after Clinton left a 9-11 commemoration ceremony early. And was seen in video wobbly, weak in the knees, and needing help getting into her van. According to a statement from Dr. Lisa Bardick, who examined Clinton at her home in Chappaqua, New York, Clinton became overheated and dehydrated and was, quote, recovering nicely when the doctor saw her. Tamara Keith, NPR News. Republican Donald Trump says he hopes his, his Democratic rival will get well soon. Trump took the occasion to also let voters know that he plans to soon release the results of his recent physical.
2: I think it's an issue. In fact, uh, this week uh, I took this last week, I took a physical and uh, I'll be releasing when the numbers come in. Hopefully they're going to be good. I think they're going to be good. I feel great. But uh, when the numbers come in, uh, I'll be releasing very, very, very specific numbers.
1: Trump speaking to Fox separately. He says he plans to take aim at Clinton's recent remarks at a fundraiser where she said half of Trump's supporters were deplorables. Trump says Clinton's attack on him is an attack on working Americans. In North Dakota, opponents of a controversial oil pipeline construction project are keeping up their protests. NPR's Jeff Brady reports the federal government has temporarily halted construction on part of that pipeline.
2: The Obama administration, through three federal agencies, stopped construction of the Dakota Access Pipeline on federal property. The government also asked the company Energy Transfer Partners to voluntarily stop construction 20 miles in either direction. The Standing Rock Sioux Tribe says the pipeline route crosses sacred sites and burial grounds. Tribal leaders claim the Army Corps of Engineers should have done a better job consulting Now the agency will go back, review its work, and decide whether to cancel its previous construction approvals. Pipeline supporters say this is unprecedented and could have a chilling effect on private companies investing in infrastructure. Jeff Brady, NPR News, Bismarck, North Dakota.
1: Seasonal work's opening up ahead of the holiday in the U.S. Target says it plans to hire more than 70,000 people in the coming months, as it did last year. The retail chain says it will also recruit an additional 7,500 people for those operations that handle online orders and product shipments to stores. The Dow is up 64 points. This is NPR News. Chancellor Angela Merkel's conservatives in Germany got a badly needed psychological boost over the weekend with a win in municipal elections in western Germany. And PR Saraz Nelson reports from Berlin, the win follows a humiliating defeat in Merkel's political home state. Merkel's Christian Democrats won despite a dip in support. Also heartening for the conservatives was the fact the upstart nationalist party that has whittled away at their political base fared poorly in lower Saxony's municipal elections, coming in fourth. But any happiness Macklin and her allies feel over Sunday's win will likely be short-lived. Polls show the nationalist alternative for Germany will likely do well in this weekend's state elections in Berlin. If that comes to pass, the upstart party will hold seats in 10 of Germany's 16 state legislatures and establish itself as a force to be reckoned with in national elections next fall. Soraya Sarhadi nelson NPR News, Berlin. The ceasefire in the Syrian civil war has come into effect. That deal was reached last week. Between the U.S. and Russia. The International Olympic Committee has decided not to impose additional punishment on American Olympian Ryan Lochte for lying about being robbed at gunpoint during the Rio Games. The IOC says the U.S. Committee's actions are adequate. Lochte is banned from competing in swimming for 10 months. He will not be at the 2017 World Championships. Lakti also has to forfeit one hundred thousand dollars in bonuses. U.S. stocks are trading higher with the Dow up sixty two at eighteen thousand one hundred forty seven. I'm Lakshmi Singh, NPR News.
0: Support for NPR comes from NPR stations. Other contributors include LegalZoom, offering resources to help ensure the last wishes of individuals are upheld through last wills, living trusts, and powers of attorney. Legal help is at legalzoom.com and the Corporation for Public Broadcasting.
3: Catch up on past episodes and hear any of the MPB programs you've missed on the MPB Public Radio app, available on iTunes and Google Play. Listen live to MPB Think Radio and MPB Music Radio. Search MPB Public Radio. This is Mississippi Public Broadcasting.
1: I'm Terri Gross. Listen to Fresh Air weekdays at 3 on MPB Think Radio.
3: You're listening to Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit on MPB Think Radio. We're glad to take your calls at 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. You can always email your comments and questions to healthy at mpbonline.org. This is MPB Think Radio, Mississippi Public Broadcasting.
0: Good morning from MPB Think Radio. This is Southern Remedy, Healthy and Fit. I'm Debbie Miner and I'm thrilled to be here today with Dr. Caroline Compreta. And Kelsey Stevens, our new pharmacy expert that's going to be joining us for the next few weeks. So today, we are going to be talking about anthropology. Anthropology, which a lot of people, I think, are kind of like me and don't truly understand. I know my mother gets this anthropology magazine that I love, love looking through. Is that the clothes? (laughs) (laughs) No, no. I hadn't even thought about that. Oh, yeah, yeah. Huh, I never even thought about that. Yeah. Uh, no, it's just all these, you know, different types of ventures and yes. explorations and things that people are studying and all. It's just fascinating to read.
4: Well, I'm glad she gets that because I have been approached and um, when I tell them I'm an anthropologist, I get some. Um, interesting looks and some, uh, you know, lots of questions and have had ask, people ask me, well, do you study monkey bones? Uh, and, <laughs> and see, I had thought, do they, do they
0: ask if you work at that store?
4: They do sometimes, yeah. yes. So, well, see, I don't, I, don't, I do love I those have, clothes. I know that I,
0: store is wonderful. Yeah, and I know my daughter yes. likes those clothes and all that, and she's been there. And she has bought me some nice things from there, exactly. but I don't do clothes, and so I, I us, can't appreciate yeah. clothes. I don't really get that part of it. <laughs>
4: But no, anthropology, you're right. It is, um, it is actually, uh, in Greek, it means the study of the human. So it's a great thing about anthropology is that it um, really is looking at human behavior and actions and beliefs. In the past and the present and how people have organized society and organized the way they think and do things um, so it is very broad um, so understand why pe- people are sometimes confused but the great thing about it being so broad is that it also allows you to explore all kinds of issues um, and lots of different layers which is the reason I went into it I was um, fascinated with it I went to Millsaps and then after I graduated from Millsaps I uh, went to work at Stewpot community services in downtown Jackson and ran their um, kids program there for about four years years. Loved it, loved it, but realized that I needed um, something else that was really great for my heart and wanted to pursue some other things that helped my head kind of understand what was going on. And I looked at lots of different disciplines and um, and really looked at anthropology for grad school because it allowed me to look at so many different aspects of what I was seeing. Um, it allowed me to look at social organization, economics, um, political issues, and then also cultural issues. So uh, that was the what really brought me to anthropology. And, and I have loved it since. It is my passion.
0: <laughs> well, it's so very interesting because I, I think that's kind of how my brain works. I'm just kind of like all over the place. <laughs> and why anthropology would be good for you. <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> look at the end. And I know some of your research interests, too, and the way it ties into health-type things, health behaviors, as well as disease development, and even uh, some of the things I've been looking at recently for a a community presentation that was done here – sponsored by St. Dominic's and several other hospitals, but about research and obesity and all that, yes. and even some of the cultural things related to that. And, and, I, and I think right now even uh, it, some of the other countries I've been to. And and I remember reading a book years and years ago, and uh, The Web That Has No Weaver. Yes yes, 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 yes. And that book made such an impression on my mind, and then traveling and spending time in, in other countries. And, of course, most of what I've done has been health related health related on one level or another and either planning and development or you know medical missions those kinds of things and and looking at different cultures and even just the way they address health and the way they think about things and i was just so fascinating
4: well when you think about it um we are all cultural beings. We've grown yeah. up in a culture, whether we necessarily recognize it or not. We've been cultured since birth in particular ways of thinking and belief systems. And even within economic and political systems, we can take those for granted, but they're always, you know, they're specific to particular groups. And so those are different ac- across the globe. And so when you think about it, um, it's pretty natural that we imbue our entire ideas of health and illness and disease and even the way we craft health systems, that we imbue them with our culture. We bring all of those attitudes and beliefs and, and bring them. So the way that we think about health, the way that we think about illness, or even the way that we express pain or oh, yes. um, all yeah. of those things are culturally embedded. And so uh, when you think about health, you really do have to begin um, at some point to think about culture and how do um, those issues affect um, not just the experience of health, but health outcomes for groups. And uh, we have focused for so long on, you know, the individual body and we think kind of just biological processes. Um, but really, those biological processes are affected by the things we do outside, right? Oh, how well, of we, course. yeah. yeah. I mean, very much all so. the other things, yeah. and um, you know, social and economic and political processes outside of just the exam room. Um, and so, I think it's a great time right now in healthcare that people are beginning to look at that and say, "Hey, we need to broaden our focus. What's going on outside the exam room that we need to account for?" um with our patients because that has just as much effect on their health and their health outcome as things that we do, you know, in the exam room in prescribing or treatment yeah. or um so so I think yeah we have to understand that um they're not culture and health are not separate, right? We that we um come to health with all of that already. And there's a great um Doctor Kleinman is a um medical Person who's written a lot about medical anthropology, and he looks at disease versus illness, and it's a great mm-hmm. way to think about cult, how culture is in. Um, we think about culture and health, and so disease is diagnosis, right? We look at a diagnosis. Someone has a femur fracture, and and that's you know the issue, or or they have diabetes, there, and that's the disease. And then if we think about illness, it's the experience of that disease. It's um, how you um, how you relate to your doctor. Do you understand what your doctor is saying? Even if you um, have the diagnosis, then can you take the medicine? Can you buy the medicine? Oh, oh, Um, these are major issues. Do you have family family pressure about what you need need to do or don't need to do? Um, Are there cultural norms that maybe the doctor prescribes something and your cultural norms are against that? And so you have this friction. Um, So I really like that distinction, though, between thinking about illness um, as kind of the experience, of being sick or disease, and then disease kind of you know it helps us think about how culture and um, those social processes fit into health. Well, I know there's increased
0: focus, even, and, and I don't want to focus just on healthcare here at all because my brain is already going all over the place. Even, I, even I'm thinking about seatbelts and and texting while you're driving yes. <laughs> because I heard something <laughs> about that in culture. Uh, but even the differences in you think about those issues related to health literacy, and then cultural being culturally appropriate as well as culturally sensitive are competent. It can be very, yes. very different. Yes. Very, very different.
4: <laughs> you very. can tell
0: I've been through some of these training programs. <laughs> I can
4: tell. I can tell. You're right. So there was this big movement for cultural competency in the medical community. Yeah. And, um, and it, the theory behind it was really great. The idea that we needed to recognize that patients came in with um, particular cultural issues and to, to account for those in the and medical encounter. Um, Let, let's wait just a second. Oops. Let's
0: let's reorient our audience. So today we're talking about uh, anthropology and cultural anthropology. And Dr. Caroline Compreta is with us. And so, any things that you have experienced, whether you were, I hate to say it, but treated in what you would feel would be a culturally inappropriate way, or where someone was not sensitive to your beliefs in a healthcare setting, or, or. Elsewhere, it could be at your car car repair shop. Whatever, uh, it could be anything. We would love to hear something that applies to this topic from from your perspective. So, give us a call at one eight seven seven MPB ring. That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Okay, let me go back now. Sorry to interrupt you. No,
4: now I got to figure out where it was. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you're right. I think culture is used. It's such a big term that it has been used as, even in the medical um, community differently. So, mm-hmm. there's cultural competency, like I was saying. This idea that we needed to recognize um, the culture of the patient. But then cultural sensitivity is something different, right? Mm-hmm. And it's kind of recognizing that everybody, not necessarily trying to put people in cultural molds, which I think cultural competency morphed into, um, but cultural sensitivity is the idea that, you know, that you're just aware and that you ask some questions to find out where your patient is. And um, so, yeah, but we hear that word um, thrown around all the time. We do. <laughs> like, <Yeah>. mm-hmm. <laughs> so pop culture and, mm-hmm. you know, like you said, culture of texting, and yeah. you know, technology, yeah, all of that. So it's hard to decipher, um, you know, one from the other.
0: Well the discussion i think and I think it was on public radio, but it was a discussion about how uh now, as new legislation goes into place and all that, people still the majority of adults and teenagers still text and drive and things like that, even though we have laws against it. But it's it will move as time goes by, even like the seatbelt laws, because at first we had laws, but do people abide? No, no, no. But it became the culture that everybody's sensitive to that. You buckle that seatbelt when you get in the car. So it will become a cultural transition even with – Texting and driving and those kinds of things. So. You're,
4: yeah, you're exactly right with advocacy and people mm-hmm. kind of putting it out there about the dangers. You're right; it, it will be a cultural shift it, because when you think about culture being the attitudes and beliefs and practices, the behaviors mm-hmm. that people do, then it really is just getting the behavior in you know rep, um, in repetition. People do it over and over, and they hear the message over and over again, so it becomes kind of embedded mm-hmm. in that. I'm <laughs> you
0: Okay. yeah feel free to just jump right in here Kelsey okay um I, I wish I had my notes with me I was actually at um at NIH on Friday and it was a population health and health disparity conference and so there were of course different speakers that were just wonderful in discussions and all and and uh some of those discussions were of course centered around health equality yes in cultures and uh it was just—it was just fascinating to listen to because some of the things that we think are just the apparent obstacles, just the things that are just so out there, are not the obstacles at all,
4: mm-hmm.
0: at all, at all.
4: Yeah, you're right. It, it is—it's um, amazing that the um, when we are looking at health disparities, particularly um, when you're talking about that, there are lots of layers, and we just did a. Uh, um, session for our medical students last week talking about the, um, the MPB, the, um, or the in, um, NPR, yes, the, um, the, the dis- series. Yes. I, I was supposed to be part of that panel. Yes. And I, I, you yeah. know, I, I totally I kind of
0: messed up my scheduling. And, and then I got invited to that NIH meeting, and I, forgot, and I had accepted that. And I thought, oh, my gosh, that's the medical student thing. Well, I think so I the NIH trumps that. I was being very selfish. No, that's good. Well,
4: it, we had a really great oh, discussion. Oh, and they, oh. uh, we asked the medical students to watch a DVD series called On, on, Natural, on Natural Causes, causes. Mm-hmm. and it's a fantastic, it's wonderful. fantastic series, mm-hmm. and it really looks at how health inequalities have been structured across mm-hmm. the U.S. and so um, in lots of different ways, and um, so we asked them to watch that, and that's a lot to ask our M1s to do because it's a four-hour series, and mm-hmm. we asked them to do it on mm-hmm. their own time, and, um, and they had a great response to it. I think it was very eye-opening for them.
0: Oh, well, we did that last year. We did that last year. But uh, of course, Dr. that coordinates that. So but last year it was a little bit different because we'd already done these other things with them. And so he invite it was like dinner and a movie. And so they watched just the first session. But it was an invitation. I mean, it was you didn't. It wasn't required. Yeah, this year it <laughs> so, was mandatory. I, but I was, I was re, well, and yeah. so I was shocked how many came though. Yes. Honestly, mm-hmm. honestly, because that takes time out of their very very busy schedule. How many came? And then what was surprising? Just oh, it just made my heart melt almost. We had an hour discussion, the panel discussion afterwards. We couldn't get rid of those kids, mm-hmm. and based on that. I had I had several of them that came and helped me with my Jackson Heart study. You probably heard me talk about my Jackson Heart Study kids in the summer, the SLAM program out there. They came out and helped me this summer through that. That's program. great. And and so when Dr. Piment started talking about it, we said, Okay, it's gonna be a requirement this year. <laughs> well, I'm glad <laughs> you yes. and simply because it went over so well. Oh, it just it really gives me chill bumps because the, the It was like these were things they'd never heard before or never thought of. And these are people who are going to medical school because they care about people and want to help. And the things that had never been brought to their attention at that depth.
4: Exactly, and I think they are um, really hungry for that information because uh-huh. they do come. I mean, they're coming mm. to medical school to, mm. to help, and and I think it's like I said, eye opening because they realize the depth of some of the issues that it's, they will yes, deal with when they, yes. you know, when they um, are visiting their patients and um, and with them and treating them. But we had a great panel in terms of um, lots of different people. Doctor Kordley, so you were there. Yeah, oh, it, was, I know. it was great. Uh, but it but it looked at um, trying to think about. Kind of, um, Dr. Mario Sims, Dr. Mario Sims, um, talks, had a great way. He said, we're talking about multifactorial and multilayered issues. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, but, but the great thing is I think the research and scholarship and, and education is moving to like not shying away. I think for a while we said it's too complicated. Yes. We need to, we can't yes. um, tackle that juggernaut. Um, let's just focus on something else. But I think we are uh, beginning to look at that we and recognize are. that it is complex, which well, is It's great. so
0: complex. And even, because I don't want to, every week we talk about obesity in some shape, form, fashion, mm-hmm. but even the obesity type stuff, it is so much more complicated because I even, when I was doing this presentation, I said, you know, how many people in this audience have ever been t- guilty of saying to a patient, you just need to eat less, exercise more. And of course, every, And the audience went up Mm -hmm. and these are all physicians, nurse practitioners, etc. I'm like, you know, that is not that is so superficial. (laughs) That is just not it. And so everything that we're realizing is just so much more complex. And it's so exciting now that we are delving into these things. Well, let's go. Let's go to some of our callers on the line. Good morning, Norma and Boonville. How are you? Well, I'm fine. Thank you. I wanted to talk a little bit
5: about what I think is a cultural tendency. And does that work into Of course, it's correct? Yes, yes. I think that in our culture, we have a tendency when we come upon any kind of adversarial situation, we want to fight. Our, our instinct is to fight. I hear people talk about fighting diseases, fighting to give their children the advantages that they want them to have. Uh, fighting to win an election, fighting, fighting, fighting. And last year, about this time, I was diagnosed with breast cancer, stage one, and I'm mm. fine. But uh, thank first the Lord, of all, I'm glad. Now, um, not for me, fighting, a uh, fighting um, attitude does not work for me. For me, um, I have to be calm. And fighting doesn't lend itself to calmness. Fighting also doesn't lend itself to acceptance. What I had to do when I was diagnosed was, first of all, turn inward and think about and accept what I had discovered about my body. And I didn't feel like I could get angry with my body and fight something that is a part of who I am. And now I really, what I'm saying is this, I don't believe my attitude is in sync with the common cultural norms. I think most people who get an illness, if they uh, get into remission or if they are able to completely leave the illness behind, they think of themselves as having won a fight of some sort and battled hard and fought hard. So I'm just introducing the possibility that perhaps our attitude toward illness and disease, um, that am I correct that the common accepted oh. attitude oh. is this fighting tendency, or uh, do I just know a lot of people? No, I think you're me. right on what?
4: target. In fact, I think you um, are an anthropologist. <laughs>
5: well, I do remember in 1968, when I had a class in anthropology at uh, Mississippi State University, uh, I was right out of the cotton fields at the time. Yes. And I was so fascinated. Yes. I hung on every word. <laughs>
4: so yeah, well, I think you're yeah really astute in picking up one of um, our cultural norms, right? The idea of fighting and aggression, and um, an idea of winning a competition, right? Because um, when mm-hmm. you think about fighting, mm-hmm. and you're thinking about a adversary, and um, and someone wins out, and uh, I think you're really... Really, uh, really but, astute you know, in picking
5: if, that up. Uh, if a part of your body is ill and you're fighting that that illness, you're really fighting your body, and um, it, it makes my blood pressure go up
6: just <laughs> <you think> about
5: <laughs> yeah. uh, all of that high
4: emotion. <laughs> You're right. And there is some great research um, right now about looking at how uh, mindfulness, as, as you called it, calmness, oh, yes. Um, yes. but the idea of mindfulness, how um, allowing people to um, practice mindfulness and meditation really actually helps the body um, in terms of dealing with illness. And and you, well, you can think about that's it in what terms. I think. Of,
5: mm-hmm. And yeah. I certainly don't mean to indicate that people should just accept Something oh, sure. bad that's happened to their body, and do nothing about it. But sure. maybe the attitude could be shifted slightly, and it might be beneficial to other some others as it was to me. Sure. But thanks so much. I love your program. I like all the MPB
0: shows uh, Monday through Friday, and thanks for letting, giving me a voice. Oh goodness, that was that was just perfect. Perfect. You inspire Thank me. You. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. you. You've already made my day better. Actually. <laughs> So, any other comments about that that is
4: no, this, I think that, that's a great way when we uh, think about um uh, there's lots of ways that we talk about illness and we um express. Uh, thoughts about um, disease and pain or treatment, and we don't re- recognize that they really are uh, culturally embedded. And this idea of fighting and competition and winning and aggression um, is really kind of part of, of who we are. We're a competitive society, you know, um, we, you know we, and that's good in lots and lots of ways. But, but I think that um, Norma brings up a really great idea about um, that it may not work for everybody, that we may need a, a different... Um, language surrounding um, illness in some ways, and that's okay. The great part about culture is it is fluid, and while there are dominant messages that we're all privy to, um, there are also um, subcultural messages that we can get. And it sounds like she found her um, place in this mindfulness and calmness uh, practices, which I think is really great. And, and luckily, those are out, those are out there, and there is a, a culture of that as well, um, and which is is great that uh, there are options for people to find, but. Um, But we do. And you think about um, medicine. We've talked about the body as a machine for very long. And we have to recognize that that's a particular way of thinking about the body in lots of different societies. They don't think of the body as a machine. They think about um, community health uh, in terms of. Um, trumps often individual health. So, and, but that they come to even individual health with ideas of community, and, and so we have to recognize that it's, um, yeah, that we have all that language tied up, um, and it really affects how we think about it. And as Norma said, experience illness.
0: Oh, I loved her comments. That was wonderful. Thank okay, you I hear Jay playing our music, okay. and I know we're late on the break, so we got to take a quick break. When we get back, though, I want to mention. I'm so glad y'all brought that up. The mindfulness. There's a mindfulness conference that's coming up. I want to make sure and mention that. We'll be back with you right after this quick break.
2: MPB seeks an experienced
1: multimedia journalist to produce NPR-style news stories and features on issues of local and regional interest. And be comfortable and competent with social media and reporting on multiple platforms. More information at mpbonline.org slash more slash careers. Hi, I'm Dr. Susan Buttress. Join me each Tuesday for Relatively Speaking on MPB Think Radio. Each week we explore issues that relate to you and your family, from mental obstacles to family interaction, from depression to handling life's disruptions, discovering things that make you happy, or how to get around things keeping you from your happiness. I want to hear what's going on in your life. Relatively Speaking, part of the Daily Southern Remedy series, tomorrow morning at 11 on MPB Think Radio. This is MPB Think Radio, Mississippi Public Broadcasting.
3: You're listening to Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit on MPB Think Radio. We're glad to take your calls at 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. You can always email your comments and questions to healthy at mpbonline.org. This is MPB Think Radio, Mississippi Public Broadcasting.
0: Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit from MPB Think Radio and I'm here today with Dr. Caroline Capretta and Kelsey Stevens, and we're talking about anthropology, kind of going all over the place with that because it's so, so very fascinating. So we've got a, a couple of callers on the line that I need to get to real quick and then we will uh, go back to our discussion. Good morning. Good morning. Frank? Good,
2: good morning. How are we doing today?
0: Fun. How are you?
2: I am so happy to have an expert who will not Avoid a question because they know everything.
0: Oh, uh, Frank, look, I've talked to you before, haven't I? I know. You know we don't avoid things. Now, I can't say we always agree, which that's perfectly fine. There's nobody in my family I agree with very much of the time. So that is perfectly fine. We don't avoid things.
2: (laughs) Uh, My question is, um, I've been blessed for 65 years, and I've been cursed with awareness of how this society, and I guess the whole world, keeps repeating the same processes and the same mistakes and getting the same results. I mean, if you go back to the Bible or sacred texts even before that, there's a basic, the human nature is pretty much the same, hasn't changed. Um, What amazes me in Mississippi and in the country is how people from seemingly opposite ends of the spectrum, be it racial, sexual, uh, religious, have a real problem coming together on issues that will positively impact both of them. And I have found in my unprofessional uh, analysis that the pain has to be so great on an individual basis for change to occur. And uh, I guess it goes back to Maslow and his hierarchy of needs, et cetera, et cetera. And you mentioned, and our host mentions it all the time, the key is to find a way to say the same thing in a different way that doesn't immediately uh, raise people's I'm-not-going-to-do-that uh, hackle, so to speak.
0: Or alienate them totally. There yeah. you know, <laughs> Use
2: the wrong word. Yeah. It's you that know, they don't hear anything else. As an anthrop- anthropologist <laughs> who has had the opportunity to I guess, getting to the ruins of society's inability to make that transition. Um, Do you see any hope besides having the pain be so great that it just becomes a point where we all get together, be it a war, we all come together in war, 9-11, we all came together uh, for about a week, Um, et cetera, et cetera. Is there any other basis in human nature that we can draw upon uh, to make people work together. Empathy has not worked. Empathy just goes out of the table. Um, well, so I think as, a, as a researcher, yeah. have you seen any hope? I mean, Ralph Nader has written a book on how it's inevitable for uh, the left and the right to work together, and he gives some examples. But it seems such a waste of time and energy.
4: Well, I think you um, mentioned it, actually. You talked about communication, and I think that is um, – real a a real issue that we um learning how to communicate right talking to one another and and asking questions not necessarily always knowing their answer even when you know when you're listening to someone um not just thinking of your own answer but actually listening to those folks and recognizing um that even though you may disagree you're not trying to prove your point um unfortunately throughout history as you've noted um you know, we have fought. (laughs) We have fought a lot. Um, uh, But there are great moments that uh, of people coming together. And I think oftentimes in history books, we pay so much attention um, to the fighting and to the dissension um, that we don't often pay attention to those moments of unity. And they are there. Uh, And so maybe um, I challenge you, maybe we can write that book (laughs) (laughs) and start looking at that um, at that history of, of unification, because the other issue is that we have to get the story out, right? That it is possible and that talking across differences is possible. And I think right now, and we're we're in a very interesting um, time where communication is adversarial. It is my point versus your point, and both folks are trying to convince each other. And And obviously, no unification is going to happen across that because uh, no bridges are being built. And so I think uh, some ways to begin to do that are um, to teach communications. It's not easy. Um, we all learn uh, how to communicate with others from our family. We don't necessarily learn it from school unless you go into broadcasting or, uh, you know. Um, but the the ability to talk to somebody and talk actually listening to build bridges instead of blow those bridges up is a skill. And I don't think we teach it enough. And so uh, the other issue is that focusing on moments of unity, that it is possible. uh, We don't hear that message enough. So if we could do those two things, um, and I do, I'm Not quite as pessimistic as you, maybe you're not, but I do think that's happening. I just think we need to get the story out and we need um, to have that vision um, so that it can become a vision for everybody. Because I think we see on the news and in popular culture and popular media, we see a lot of dissension. Um, And so, uh, like I said, those moments of unity are out there. We just need to get them um, to have equal airtime. I do want to mention, too, I was so glad when Norm brought this up about this mindfulness and
0: all, and that you elaborated on that. There is actually a conference coming up. It looks wonderful. It's Saturday, September the 24th at the Municipal Art Gallery. And I'm going to butcher this name. And you know what the best thing is? He's going to be my guest next week, so he can correct me on the air. Igor Awanik, he has put this Mindfulness Mississippi conference together so it's celebrating wholesome living meditation breathing music he is a musician and educator listening listening the influence of food yoga all these kinds of things and a wonderful wonderful panel of speakers it just sounds great so we're going to talk about that more next week with him so that just fits in perfectly it's perfect timing (laughs) so we've got a couple of callers on the line frank hang in there we're going to get there Good morning, Linda. Thank you so much for your patience and holding yes um yes
6: i'm Linda from port Gibson and uh i was calling because uh uh i took um, anthropology in college back in eighty nineteen uh and eighty and uh uh i would like to related to i I have a question i'm kind of nervous really i'm trying to ask a question about the medical aspect of uh of uh culture
0: yeah 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 and and, and, and Linda, don't don't be nervous look listen listen you hear us all the time please don't be nervous we're we're just like you just sitting here so please don't be nervous and you know no telling what'll pop out of my mouth so yeah. <laughs> something I probably shouldn't say sometimes, but but yeah, please don't n- be nervous. And yeah, thank you so much for calling. So just yeah, whatever's want, on your mind. I didn't
6: want, you to, I didn't want nobody to uh, to hang up on me. Oh, we
0: are not going to hang up on you. We are right here.
6: Yeah. yeah, like um, in different cultures, like when dealing with with pain. Yeah. Um. Like I got sick once uh, over at a parade. And, uh, you know, uh, some people, uh, believe in just drinking water and water and, uh, yet yeah, some other people just believe in just taking you straight on to the hospital or giving you a pain pill or whatever, you know. But, uh, can, can you sure. explain how, uh, anthropology Today relates to the medical aspect of what's what's in the future well, what's going on. Today? Definitely. I
4: I- Linda, you bring up a, a really a good point in that there is a subdiscipline of anthropology called medical anthropology. And it is a really large growing field. And its whole purpose right now is to look at exactly what you're talking about. It's looking at how people respond um, when they get sick. Uh, and then also it's looking at the medical systems that we've developed, how those respond to people when they come to them. So the idea that people respond, they have different cultural ideas Ideas about um, doctors, right? Some folks are um, in cultural groups are, are distrustful of of doctors and physicians, and so um, so they may not access healthcare as soon as others. They may look at herbalists or um, traditional healers. Uh, Lots of cultures do that. And so their primary physician really is a traditional healer, not a physician, as we think about it in the biomedical community. And even we see that in the US. Um, Some folks who look at traditional remedies or alternative therapies far before, you know, they do those far before they go see a physician. And there may be some distrust of the physician. I mean, those are cultural um, ideas and beliefs. Um, It may be, but it could also be finance, right? It could be that they, um, don't want to go and have to pay a large bill. And all of those kind of feed into one another. Um, but the other response to, I know I've heard uh, when folks get sick or they start to get a cold, they have the hot toddy, right? Um, and mm-hmm. they put up, uh, you know, lemon and honey and a, and a little bit of um, whatever, burberry, a, whatever. A, 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 exactly. My grandmother was vinegar and honey and yes. I don't know, bourbon or so, something. Yeah, <laughs> bourbon, throw, throw <laughs> something in there. So, um, so even when we, even those people that go to the, um, you know, go to a physician uh, may even practice those things and not realize that those are um, throwbacks to a time when most folks visited traditional healers or herbalists because one, they were closer when you're th- thinking about rural areas, especially in Mississippi and the Delta, you couldn't get to a doctor. You still can't in oh, many yes, places. Very much so. And so uh, so those folks uh, had those remedies and um, and used them. And so um, that was, you know, part of their cultural landscape. So uh, you know, it's really not until um, modern time that we have really used physicians in the way that we do now, and see them as primary care, mm-hmm. um, but but that is really how anthropology fits into the medical community is looking at um, how healthcare systems are set up, how do they respond to particular people, um, how do they respond to particular diseases, but also how people access them, right, and think about them. Um, so there's lots of great research but but medical anthropology is really the the place and it is growing it's a great field and I do a lot of work uh, I'm a cultural anthropologist by training um, but I am a medical anthropologist now <laughs>
0: <laughs> and, and hopefully we're going to get to some more of our callers and Linda make sure and listen next week too because we're going to be delving into this a little bit more with that mindfulness so I think that totally relates to what you brought up which are wonderful points thank you so much for calling I hope you have a good day um, but yeah hopefully Hopefully we can get have time to get to some of your research in just a bit. Let's go to Gabe and Richland. Good morning. Hey, good morning, good morning.
7: It's always great to talk with you, Lady.
0: Well thank you. <laughs> um you know,
7: I just I, I really am impressed with with the wealth of, of knowledge that you have about medical anthropology. And I would I would almost argue that you may have missed your primary calling there. You seem so excited and animated when you talk about medical anthropology in particular. Um, I'm actually not calling about medical anthropology. I'm calling about an observation that I made the other day when I was watching the wonderful old Sidney Fortier movie, All the Young Men. It's um, set in the Korean War, and I won't get deeply into the movie, but um, when I was watching it, there's a scene where um, their commander of their little unit um, is shot, and Sidney so Fortier being second in command has to, he has to take over as commander. And um, one, of the, one of his men is this very, very southern you know, guy from Alabama who is completely, you know, completely incensed at the idea of taking orders from a, a black officer. And there's this one scene where he tells Sidney Fortier that he's not going to dig a ditch because he says, Where I come from, the black man does the digging. And there's this wonderful moment where Sidney Fortier who looks him dead in the eye and says, We are not where you come from. <laughs> And um it struck me in this era that we live where we're so segregated, not just by color, but by, you know, by culture, by, by religion, by politics, that that World War II and Korean War provided, even against the will of some of these soldiers, obviously, for, um, a, a forum, a format where they could, where they were forced to get to know people who weren't like them, and you know, sleep with them, work with them, fight with them, die with them, even. And we don't have anything like that now. And you know, in a lot of ways, the civil rights movement came out of that—that that, you know, exposure to people who weren't like each other. And it makes you wonder if something like city year or Ameripol shouldn't be required for people coming in out of high school to, you know, to face. Different
0: these are these are great points, yeah. Gabe, and and I think it goes back to even what something Caroline, what you were saying earlier about you know the listening and putting people in circumstances because I think yeah we don't have this great thing like World War II right now but there are pockets of things that happen that throw people together even like nine eleven I mean there are pockets of things that. In the in the good and the bad that throw people together. So what?
4: Yeah, I hey, think you're. That's a he's, good. He's uh, got
0: a. That's a good analogy of things he's brought up. Yeah, really that's is. A,
4: a great point. You're right. Um, war and trauma, right, or um, devastation often bring people together because they have a common cause, and so they can rally behind it, and they they can look to that beyond the division that they've looked at previously, right? They can um, say, "Well, we're going to come together for this." But um, but I think it's a good point that you bring up that without that. Larger focal point um, it 's hard for people to come together and and this idea of a mandatory city or, or AmeriCorps member i I, I love that I was an AmeriCorps member back in the day, and it was a beautiful i mean it was a great moment to um, get out of your comfort zone right and one of the problems um, without without this large thing that brings us together is that we don 't have moments to come together um, we don 't have moments to say um, let 's just talk and and hang out and talk about some hard issues that might be uncomfortable. Um, we don't we don't create those moments very often. So I think it's a really great point that you bring up is how do we structure those moments to have dialogue um, about the issues that we're dealing with, these kind of heavy issues that we often shy away from or we get angry about and we just turn you know tune off, you know, turn off and not listen. Um, but how do we structure those moments where we actually um, have dialogue um, with folks that are different from us, that we can learn from them, that we can have experiences with them, recognize um, our commonalities instead of just always harping on our differences? Uh, and that's a good question. I don't have an answer to how we structure that, but I think it's a really, um, I think we need to. We need to think um, as a society about ways to begin dialogue I know in the classes that I've taught uh, I don't shy away from hard issues I mean we are tackling racism we are talking you know tackling gender issues we're tackling um, class issues and ge- you know geographic se- segregation we're talking about cultural differences across societies um, and those are hard for students often uh, to talk about but we are very intentional about creating a space where everybody can talk about it um, it doesn't matter who it is and and, and I have found that after those classes, the students – now, they don't all agree, but the students really – are thankful just the moment to talk, just the moment to hear other people's stories and to share their own. It's like and it's a safe environment. Exactly, exactly. And um, and there's lots of things that you know students say that I don't agree with, but but they understand that we don't have to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think you're you bring up an interesting point that we need to figure out how to do those. And, and I challenge the folks that are listening to find those ways to do that in your own life, um, not to try to convince someone else about your of point, course. but mm-hmm. to learn from them. Find somebody that's different from you, and until. Um, and learn from them, you know, go have coffee and find out what, what they do and, and what you know sparks their interest, and they can find out about yours, too. Uh, building those bridges in your individual life, I think, goes a long way. Uh, it's going to be really hard to get society and government to go through a mandatory program that makes everybody do something like that, um, but I think everybody can do it in their own life, and that will make a big difference.
0: Well, we're making these, I, I would say, small steps, but even it, because training, just like you mentioned, our medical students, at first we gave yes. them this voluntary thing, and then now it's a required part of their course. And so I think just like your your students you talked about it sometimes it's uncomfortable mm-hmm. but if you're in that safe environment and some things stick and some things don't you know it's like i have this group of kids i work with every summer and i start out with saying look i know you're here you're here for one or two reasons you're here because you just want to be here and you're a high achiever and you're going to do well or you're here because somebody really really cares about you It's your teacher, your counselor, your mama. Somebody really cares about you, and they forced you to come. So either way, we're going to do well together.
6: (laughs) Exactly. So either way, you're going to get something out of
0: it. (laughs) Well, let's go to our next caller, Timothy in Bonite, Louisiana. Bone Bonite. Oh, my. Okay. (laughs) Good morning. How are you today? Okay. Now, I see what they put on my message board, and I'm just kind of waiting to see where this is going to (laughs) go.
2: Yeah, I had the misfortune of eating undercooked deer meat and got gut worms, and I went down to the hospital to see what could be done about it. You know?
0: mm-hmm. That was probably a cultural thing. Pardon me? I said, I, 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 "That's yeah, <laughs> the cultural, they were probably shocked. <laughs> okay.
2: Yes, and they, they weighed me and said, okay, you have to take 10 of these pills a day for two weeks, and they're $7 a piece. Mm-hmm. Okay, Uh, $70 a day for two weeks. So I went online and I looked uh, on the People's Pharmacy, which I saw here on another uh, um, public radio station. Right. Um, And I went on their website and it said, eat only vegetables with lots of hot sauce. And in three days with just a diet change, I cleared myself out of them. So, you know, The sometimes the old ways are a heck of a lot cheaper and, you know, have better benefit.
0: Well, you You know know what, Timothy, I'm just going to say this. When I saw that deer worms up there, I was thinking, how'd that fit into cultural anthropology, (laughs) to be honest? But you know what? And you know, if you listen to the show very often, I'm a pharmacist by training. And uh-huh. I say we do everything we can to avoid medicines. They're there when God made it, and we need them. But and uh-huh. we do everything for prevention that we can, and to avoid medicines, they're unnecessary. So you brought up a great point, because there are, even like Caroline mentioned earlier, I mean, there are a lot of remedies, and it may not be the best thing for an individual person. So, of course, you need some guidance. But there, there are a lot of these what we call old-fashioned remedies or things that, yeah, they work. Now I'm not going to comment you know, like, about your deer worms in particular. <laughs> yeah, or,
1: or <laughs> but, like
2: cranberry juice for for a uh, you know for a bladder infection or
1: yeah
2: uh, I, pomegranate I, for um, uh, the gout. You know?
0: Right, right. I so mean, there there are there are these different a lot things.
2: And readily available. You don't have to get a prescription. You just go pick it up off the grocery yeah. shelf and
0: consume. Well, I'll, I'll let Caroline comment about that because I'm sure she's got a. An opinion.
4: Well, yeah. Well, I think that. Thank you um, for calling, though. <laughs> yeah. I think you bring up an interesting point in terms of the um, kind of conflicting issues with the biomedical community. What we think of, you know, traditional um, medicine, and then these, uh, you know, folk remedies as well. And um, and so I know in the U.S. they, I mean, those are alternative therapies, and people can use them. But um, but they, you know you like you did, they worked for you, but they may not work for somebody else. Um, and the great thing is that people can access the medical community when they need to, and, um, have both of those options. And in some cultures, uh, they don't, right. right. They can't access Mm -hmm. physicians the way that Mm -hmm. we can. And so really when I was talking about that, I was talking about kind of different cultural systems that may rely totally on an herbalist. Um, but we still see that here, uh, just like you said. I'm, I'm glad that worked for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thank you for calling. That was
0: a great point. Yeah, and always, of course, we, we, we say need to refer to your health care provider, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but that was, a, that was a really interesting point. I was trying to figure out where we're going to go with that. So this is Southern Remedy, Healthy and Fit. We're a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting, and we'll be back with you right after this break.
4: Americans have a big decision to make on November 8th.
2: A date which will live need in
3: infamy. Mr. Gorbachev. We will keep this promise this
4: to the American people.
3: people. Be informed. Listen to this station every day. Catch up on past episodes and hear any of the MPB programs you've missed on the MPB Public Radio app. Available on iTunes and Google Play. Listen live to MPB Think Radio and MPB Music Radio. Search MPB Public Radio. This is Mississippi Public Broadcasting. You already love MPB Think Radio, but have you heard MPB
7: Music Radio? There's over 100 hours of classical music every week. WJSU's evening jazz, opera, folk, bluegrass, blues. No, we don't have that. But there is a sound for almost everyone. Hear MPB Music Radio on the new MPB Public Media app online at mpbonline.org or head to your local electronics retailer and purchase an HD radio.
1: This is MPB Think Radio, Mississippi
7: Public Broadcasting.
2: Have you ever taken a week to do something that you know you could have easily done in just one day? I think we all have. But Friday, MPB Radio is putting procrastination off for a one-day, $100,000 drive. We're asking you to help us raise the entire cost of all things considered in just one day. So for just one day, we need everyone who loves MPB Radio to call 888-372-GIVE or visit mpbonline.org, and let's
3: knock this drive out in one day. It's the one-day, $100,000 drive, this Friday on MPB Think Radio. You're listening to Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit on MPB Think Radio. We're glad to take your calls at one mpb ring That's one 672 7464 You can always email your comments and questions to healthy at mpbonline.org. This is MPB Think Radio, Mississippi Public Broadcasting.
0: And from MPB Think Radio, this is Southern Remedy, Healthy and Fit. I'm Debbie Miner, and I'm here today with Dr. Caroline Compreta and Kelsey Stevens. And we are talking about the world of cultural anthropology. So we've had some very interesting calls. And one thing I want to get to before the end of the show, because this is your area of expertise. so how do you how do you do research to explore these issues how how do you it, what is, what is the way you approach it from the scientific perspective
4: well anthropological research is um a lot longer than some some studies, especially in the medical community. So I know when I was my doing my doctoral work, I was with a community that I studied for a year. And so there is a really traditional method in anthropology called participant observation. And you get trained on it. Uh, uh, there's lots of skills that you have to learn before you can go in and do research using that particular methodology. But basically, it's just what it says. You're a participant in the culture, but you're at the same token you are observing. Mm-hmm. So you're writing field notes, you're interviewing, but you're also participating. You're not a fly on the wall. So if there is a cultural uh, festival going on, you're there. You're feeling it. You're experiencing it. You may be um, writing notes while you're doing it and making observations. Um, But you're really embedded so that you can become more aware of what's going on, the rationale, the belief systems that are behind uh, people's actions. And so it takes longer, but I do a lot of um, that participant observation you don't use on every study necessarily. Um, But right now in the work that I'm doing, I do a lot of interviewing, in-depth interviewing with people. Um, We'll visit them in their home. We'll walk around their neighborhoods with them. I've worked a lot with children, and we do a lot of that. We do uh, neighborhood mapping with them so they can draw maps. We walk around uh, neighborhoods together. Um, We also uh, do storytelling. That's a particular thing with children. But um, we do surveys, um, focus groups, lots of qualitative methodologies. That is where uh, anthropology really uh, does a lot of research. There are um, anthropologists that bridge quantitative and qualitative methods, uh, but I'm particularly a qualitative methodology. So talk with people a lot. (laughs) And, And, you know, you learn, I mean, you learn those skills to interview and to ask Questions and and maybe that's why I'm talking about listening today is because anthropologists do a lot of listening uh, and figure out where what's uh, folks are thinking or and how they believe particular things. A lot of questions. Uh, The great thing about being an anthropologist in the U.S. lots of anthropologists go abroad. And do their research in another community where um, so many things are different. And so they learn, you know, things that kind of um, are hard for them to get used to, they begin to write about and, and those become normal. And then they are able to look at their own some of the cultural things that they thought were just habit just normal they realize that those aren't uh-huh. um so those are really great moments and, and being in the u.s you still are you get Ooh, to observe and it's yeah. a little harder because you have to see um and because i've been enculturated in the culture i'm studying of so course. um beginning to kind of uh, piece that together so um you you do it, you know it, it takes practice that's also it takes a lot of introspection at the same token which is good
0: so well, it's a totally different mindset
4: yes yeah, it is. So, uh,
0: so the the kind of research that really interests me is community based participatory research, yes. which I can tell you that twenty years ago, everybody thought it was just crazy it yeah. wasn't real science yes,
4: exactly and now it, uh, so much research is doing that right I now know. Yes, exactly. I know. exactly. I know. and that's um, and that I think is a real shift in who is allowed to talk about research mm-hmm. and now it is not just the researcher or the medical um, professional it is the community I mean they have they are a voice for what they're experiencing and need to be able to um, direct some of that the questions that they're interested in
0: Jay's turned our music on um, it means it's time to go this is quick so thank you so much and I I don't even think we said it from the beginning, but you are affiliated with the University of Mississippi Medical Center, too. And so we appreciate you coming so much today, both of y'all joining us, and we'll have to have you back. Oh, I would have like to thank uh, you so much. And i look forward to next week's program talking about mindfulness. I think that's going to be fascinating. So Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting, Think Radio. We're funded in a part by a grant from the University of Mississippi Medical Center and by the generous support from the members of the Foundation for Public Broadcasting in Mississippi. Today's show is engineered by Jay White. Thank you, Jay. Thank you, Jay. Please join us next Monday at 11 for Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit and stay tuned. NPR's Here and Now is next on MPB Think Radio.
1: This forecast is underwritten by Blue Cross and Blue
3: Shield of Mississippi. Information on how to make good health a family affair is available
2: at